You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. Welcome to episode 97 of The Melting Podcast. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappin, and I am flying solo and it's entirely possible you hear a wheezing cat behind me. Um, I know our last episode was a chef's table. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now that this episode is also a chef's table. With our current situation, working on trying to get our house ready to sell, to relocate, and with there being some iffiness about Aaron's health right now, we are going to be, uh, for a while, going back to one episode a month rather than two. And... <clears throat> It's probably not going to be quite as much content as you're used to. This is temporary. This is just so that we can put a little bit more focus toward, uh, like I said, getting the house ready, trying to get moved, trying to get settled, and once we come back triumphantly, things should be a big improvement. We'll have a re- hopefully have a recording closet again. We won't be having to record in a gigantic, unsoundproofable living room. Um, we'll be able to get the quality content that you're accustomed to. We've got so many great stories that are in our queue. We just need to actually have the time and means to do them. And we want to do them justice. That's the whole point of this. So really thank you so much for your continued support, for your patience with us while we're going through this transition. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's been hectic. Um, just at the beginning Oh, I was at the tail end of January. Goodness. At the tail end of January, Aaron and I launched thechainnerd.com. That's a website for our chainmail business. Um, we've got, you know, we go to cons and everything like that. So things are definitely going to be hectic. Um, and it's going to be touch and go for a while. So again, thank you for being supporters. Patreon backers, thank you for your support. Um, we try to keep everything, you know, keep it uh, justified, your, your financial backing. And in the meantime, enjoy this panel from Balticon 2019. Just a little bit. Okay. Um, the panel today is CSI Fantasy right. Edition. We will be discussing how police, or the equivalent thereof, um, would process and investigate crimes in a fantasy setting. Um... My name is John French, and I was basically appointed moderator because this whole thing was my idea. Um, so you have nobody um, to blame but yourself. Yes, that's true. Um, I am a recently retired uh, crime scene supervisor from the Baltimore Police Department, having served 40 years, which means had I killed somebody, I would have been out 20 years ago. <laughs> So um, I'll introduce our. I'll let the panelists int- uh, introduce themselves, and then we will get back to. Uh, oh, to them. I'm sorry. And then we will start start the question. We'll start with uh, Dave on my right. All right. On my left. Hi, my name is David Keener. Uh, I don't have any uh, police or, or forensic background. I I have read mysteries and science fiction for about as long as I can remember, and somehow or other, most of the stories I write tend to be either crime or mystery stories set in the fantasy or science fiction setting. So that gives me some of my background here. Hi, I'm Kim the Comic Book Goddess, and I am an, I'm a musician, and I write songs. Um, and I'm here because I keep on suggesting way too late uh, a panel on emergency medical services. <laughs> I've been an EMT for nine years. My father's a police chief. My brother's a fire inspector. And I've been on a couple of 
investigations when the state police came to investigate after the fact and we were still there. <laughs> we actually had an uh, EMT volunteered with the um, Harford County Police Department, um, Fire Department, and he asked if I would mind it when he, if he had to take off to take, you know, courses. And I said, gee, would I mind having a paramedic working in a crime lab? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Keith? I'm Keith R.A. DeCanzaro. I've written a lot of books, uh, the most recent of which is launching this very weekend uh, and ties into this panel. Uh, Mermaid Precinct is the latest in my fantasy police procedural series, which is about the Cliffs End Castle Guard and their attempts to maintain law and order within the city-state. Um, we're having a big launch party with Eastbeck Books Sunday night at 7 o'clock in the con suite. Come, please come. There will be food. There will be merriment. There will be laughter. There will be raffles. And also we'll be selling books. Um, we're launching, I think, six books this weekend. And come by the Eastbeck Books table. We have invites. And there's and you get a free raffle ticket if you buy one of the books launching. Anyway, uh, I've written a lot of fantastical police procedurals of various kinds. The Precinct one is the biggest, but I've also uh, worked cops into Spider-Man stories and Supernatural stories. And I've also got a, a, the Super City Cop series, which is about cops in a city filled with superheroes. Um, I like police procedural. I blame growing up watching Barney Miller and Hill Street Blues. Yeah. So. The most two accurate police uh, police TV shows of other than Dragnet. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gail Z. Martin. I write epic fantasy, urban fantasy, steampunk, um, and comedic horror. And as Morgan Bryce, I write uh, urban fantasy, male, male, paranormal romance. In all of the epic fantasy, my characters are usually trying to evade the guard. So, uh, you know, you can take that as you will. In the urban fantasy, it's, you know, 50-50, whether they're working around the police or whether... The police, you know, they've got somebody on the force who, who believes in the supernatural and is working with them. And then um, in my Morgan Bryce books, two of the series have main characters um, who are, uh, one's, one's a homicide detective, the other one's a former undercover cop. So um, in that case, you've, again, got cops trying to figure out how not to get caught by other cops because they're doing stuff on the down low. Um, so it's always kind of fun, and, and I, you know, blame it on the fact that my grandmother um, read all the Raymond Chandler books, all the Mickey Sp Spillane books, never met a police procedural she didn't love. I, I grew up not only with Dragnet, but every, every show from Perry Mason on in mm. the 60s, 70s, and 80s that had a cop in it was on at our house. So I, I, I feel like I got the second-hand education. Okay. All right, thank you. Um, in addition to being a former crime scene investigator, I'm also a writer. I write crime, crime stories, um, urban fantasy with Magic Assignment Tombs, which is new, just new, and Bianca Jones series, which is about a Baltimore City police detective who fights monsters. And in Monsters Among Us, I weaponize DNA. All right. Um, the basics of forensic science was established by a gentleman named Picard, Lacard, um, and it's, it's very simple. Every contact leaves a trace. You know, there's no contact without some kind of transfer. And um, that can apply, you know, not only to uh, forensic science, but in real life, and definitely applies in magic. Um, the two principal, the two jobs of a crime scene investigator is to document the scene 
and to find evidence that will help identify the people involved. So those of you who have written about um, you know, crime scene investigation, how, does your how do your fantasy characters provide the investigate, you know, provide some kind of description of the crime scene, if, if they do at all? I mean, do they use, oh, I know Keith does a peel back. Yeah, the the the, explain, yeah. the the in in <clears throat> in the Cliffs End uh, Castle Guard, they have there's a wizard uh, on loan from the Brotherhood of Wizards, who will go to a crime scene and cast an inanimate residue spell or a peelback, which will basically show what happened at a particular location. Um, in order to keep this from being incredibly boring, I have all sorts of things that can interfere with that spell, just to you know, um, that can mess it up and make it not as accurate as one might hope. But it's. It's pretty much yeah. This is this is a world in which most of um, most of the science or what passes for science is actually magic, um, or or at the very least, a lot of of advances that would be made through science are instead made through magic. So, um, and and so that that's that's the main way they do that is they they use that particular spell which can be very useful. They've only started using it in the last ten years or so. So before that, they just had to guess. <laughs> I tend to have characters that are necromancers or know a necromancer or are a medium. Um, and when you can talk to the ghost, or at least have the ghost leave you some clues and, and take you through what happened, even if it's not admissible as evidence, now you, as the person looking to you know, solve the case, you know, have gotten a giant step ahead because you, you've got some pieces that wouldn't otherwise be available. That's handy. Yeah. Yeah, one, of the, one of the reasons why uh, homicide detectives tend to be the most talented uh, members of any particular police force is that homicides are the only crimes where you cannot interview the victim. If you have necromancers, that's not the case. <laughs> or, or gifted medium. Now, or the other, that, yes. now, the other problem with that, though, is you end up being a main suspect because you know all this stuff that either nobody but the perp would have known or that the cops haven't released. Right. So this tends to cause some problems until you get somebody <laughs> on the force to believe in you. Right. Um, no, and, I, but if it doesn't cause problems, I mean, <clears throat> then it's way too powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I did something a little bit different than that in that uh, you, you have certain magicians who are able to pull memories from either a live person or a dead person. Um, now, for a dead person, of course, if their head has been smashed, much harder to find uh, find something out. Um, and you, you can't necessarily guarantee exactly what memories you're going to get. It's probably some of the last ones, but it might only be fragments. Um, so that, that makes it very problematic. Um, you can get some information, maybe some, maybe get to the next step in the investigation, but you might not. Uh, it's, it's very problematic. It's, it might work or it might not. Um, it's more useful in court where you can literally interrogate somebody in court um, and pull a memory out. Um, but then that has its own, in my world, that has its own problems too and that it can cause strokes. So a person can refuse that in court. I, I don't know. My, the only uh, serial killer in any of my writings has actually been uh, getting away with it for 19 years because he doesn't get caught in the books so, or in the songs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. Now, like I said, um, well, one thing you mentioned um, how homicide detectives have to be the smartest because they're they're 
that you know because their their main witness is dead. That was brought out by uh, if anybody's ever watched the Rumpole the Bailey series. You know he said he we once said that homicide is just assault with unfortunate consequences, and your chief witness is dead. So he 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 liked prosecuting homicide witnesses, homicide well defending homicide cases because there was one less witness to deal with. <laughs> um, now, in the mundane world, police have all sorts of physical evidence such as DNA. They have fingerprints. There is firearms. Um, you know, there is firearms evidence from bullets and cartridge cases being left by the scene. Although, if you remember the Law and Order cast, you don't realize that cartridge cases can be matched up to. <laughs> um, Keith, by the way, uh, doesn't really make any kind of these mistakes Thank either you. in that or in the SCPD things because he knows if he does, I will. But, no. He does. Yes, even if he has made fun of Baltimore and wanted to... Abuse. Once! Once I made fun of Baltimore. <laughs> and it was purely to give you shit. Right. <laughs> yes, I know that. I know that. So it's all your fault. Oh, totally. It is my fault. Yes. At least according to my wife, it is all my fault. <laughs> what did he do? He just made fun. He, he wrote a story... There, there was a char- there's a character in SCPD... SCPD takes place in, a, in the fictional town of Super City, which has a ridiculous number of superheroes and supervillains in it. And one of the main detectives is from Baltimore originally. Uh, and he moved to Super City recently. Yes. So that it was through him that I make fun of yes, Baltimore. Right. Yes. Um, all right. So um, let's talk about weapons. I mean, obviously, unless we're dealing with like something like flintlocks or things like that, um, Weapon, you know, weapons are probably either projectile weapons like crossbows or you know, bow, and arrow, bow and arrows or spears or um, edged weapons, knives and uh, swords and something like that. Um, what kind of evidence do you think would be available to the, um, to the investigators from that? I mean, keeping in mind the whole there's no contact without transfer, if uh, your um, fantasy detective had a sword, would there be a way well there's would there be a way of tracing the sword back to the user? Well remember we're talking about a fancy fantasy. Uh, a lot of times there are swords with special characteristics that might even drink in the blood themselves. So there might be uh, magical interrogations of the weapons that you could do yes. that wouldn't be possible in a regular yeah. <laughs> One of the fun things that I have to keep reminding myself is um, that this is a world where medicine is not particularly advanced. But uh, there's, it is a people people tend to be a little bit healthier because there are such things as healing potions. Um, but actual medical knowledge is pretty scant. Um, so nobody knows about fingerprints. Nobody knows about DNA. Nobody knows about blood types even. Um, you know, it's, it's it's a revelation from one guy who, said, who happens to know, know about blood spatter, which is some, blood spatter is something we all take for granted now in the 21st century world, but it's something that somebody in a fantasy setting wouldn't necessarily know about. Um, so that rarely gets to actually be part of what I'm doing because just because the knowledge base isn't there. You know, at best, the, the, the what I, I debated with myself on this. Somebody was strangled and I and I had one person who had seen enough strangled victims to know about particular hemorrhaging, they don't call it that, but um, that you know the eyes, the eyes get all little little pinpricked uh, 
uh, of blood in the eyes when somebody is strangled. But And that's just because this is a person who used to be an assassin and has therefore strangled a lot of people <laughs> and therefore has noticed this. Um, so, yeah, that... that and, and as far as the weapons go, you know, you can probably tell... Somebody is, is experienced enough, at least, in, in again, in my world, they, would, they might know what type of weapon it is based on the type of wound, which forensic specialists do now, but actually identifying the original would be hard. Yeah, I mean, I think if you... If you're an experienced military person, particularly in my epic fantasy, you're going to be able to look at a lot of common wounds and have a pretty darn good guess what kind of weapon caused that because you've seen a lot of it. Um, If you're a healer who has dealt with battlefield injuries, same thing. And if you're a very observant person in those situations, you may notice things like the ligatures, the the uh, hemorrhaging, because you've seen enough of it and you're very observant, so you're going to put those things together. Um, with the more modern things, it's more an issue of being able to bring in a healer or a witch um, if you don't have a ghost to talk with or if the ghost for some reason is unable to talk with you, to be able to kind of backtrack that and put the pieces together. So there's there's its own kind of magical forensics moving backward with what the witches can tell you. Did they find traces of, of a potion or powder or a hex bag or or you know have they found um, other trace elements that would indicate a spell work. Or does she weigh more than a duck? Yeah. Uh, so I went uh, in an interesting direction I think with, with some of what I did which is I decided that my society was what I call post-medieval, meaning on the, on the surface it might present as medieval, but they're not. The reason they're not is because they have magic, and magic they do a lot of things with. So, for instance, um, the healing arts are quite advanced because healers can actually sense what is going on in the body and have a knowledge of uh, you know, germs and bacteria and viruses and things like that that you wouldn't expect from a medieval society. So healing is pretty advanced. But the, the very fact that science exists kind of stunts, uh, sorry, the very fact that magic exists tends to stunt the development of certain uh, areas of science. So for instance, if you have a sword, or let's say a dagger left at the crime scene, maybe there's a principle of sympathy that says if the owner of the knife has owned it for a long period of time and this knife uh, is left at the scene, then they're sort of linked uh, sympathetically and maybe you can cast a spell to detect that person. The longer he's owned the knife, the more likely it is. Um, the more traumatic uh, use of the knife uh, in the situation, the more likely you are to be able to trace it. So maybe you can trace them that way. Well, if you have that kind of capability, tracing the person that owns a knife, then it's less likely, in my opinion, that you're going to develop some things like um, fingerprints or something like that, because you, you're going to reach for the, the thing that's easiest, which is the sympathy spell. On the other hand, um, because, uh, because the healing arts are more advanced, you might know a lot about different types of wounds and instantly recognize that somebody was strangled, but you know, fingerprints never developed. So, so it, it's kind of a balancing act trying to figure out what society could reasonably have developed in terms of the technology when magic is there kind of affecting things. Something yeah, something that, I'm sorry. Then there's less of a connection between 
the, the murderer and that person? And that's a that's a good question. So what you're saying is there's a, a, a an underground part of burner knives, like drug dealers burner phones. Well, sure. And, mm -hmm. and, and if you were going to kill somebody, maybe you'd, I like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'd get a dagger like five minutes before the murder, use it and and leave. Or that'd be pretty much whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, but then again, there is the whole idea that you know murder you know creates a connection between the, the murder creates a connection between the killer and the victim. Yeah. So maybe that whole, maybe uh, an experienced forensic sorcerer could um, find the connection, or at least if they had a suspect, could determine if there was a connection between the victim, or was it, or and 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 the suspect. Yeah. Wasn't there? I forget what culture it is that believed that when confronted with the body of, or even when a kill, oh, suspected killer was confronted this. with the body of the, his of a victim, the victim would kind of. Bolt up and I, I remember, I don't remember who it was, but I heard that. Okay. Um, yeah. Along those lines of what, what you were suggesting, how science uh, is, you know, that you can either have magic or you can have science, but you mm. really can't have both. Oh, sure. Um, there was a wow. series of, um, there were a series of stories and novels by, a gentleman, by someone named Randall Garrett, mm -hmm. who wrote an ec excellent mysteries in which a world where Basically, alchemy surplanted science, and the whole everything ran off of magic. I mean, you had a box where you could keep your food uh, food uh, fresh, but it was because of a preservation spell. Mm. And uh, Lord Darcy, um, who was the investig was the chief investigator and had no magical talent, depended on his forensic sorcerer, who would do things like um, there was a. They did, yeah, they did have firearms, and so he would um, basically place a bullet near a gun, cast a spell, and if the bullet went back into the gun, the gun fired the bullet. Well, I've, you that's, that's got to be exhausting, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, um, in my Deadly Curiosity series, the main character is a psychometric, so she can read the history and magic of objects by touching them. doesn't work with every object. Divisions aren't always crystal clear. But in a lot of cases, that provides a lot of insight just from what emotional residue is left from handling the object or what the object projects from the, um, the scene that it's witnessed. So that, that's another ability that comes in handy with uncovering these things. And this is part of the challenge when you're using um, magic in the fantasy setting to do forensic type stuff. You want to give the character information, but you don't want to give him perfect information. Because mm -hmm. yeah. otherwise he's got nothing to figure out and there's no sense. Well, that whole uh, buying the burner knives thing, yeah. there's, there's a loose end to that. Yeah. Sure, you bought the knife right before they can't magically trace you back, but the vendor is much more likely to remember you hastily yeah. buying the knife. There's all those, uh, it's a, it's a, a pragmatic issue. Codex um, Alera, Jim Butcher did that with the science and the, the and the magic. Mm -hmm. The magic made the science less likely to develop. Right. Right. Well, well, I mean, if they're sitting in your closet, don't they have weird, like, functional, maybe? What well, if there's a magical Sullivan law? <laughs> If you buy a bunch of burner knives and they're hanging out in your closet and you never touch them, are they just as pristine I mean, as they got? They're in your house. They're yeah. 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 The, 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 the it depends on, on what, what the nature of the connection is. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, 
Yeah. Not only also that, that. Yes. you've bought them with you bought them with an end in mind. So even though they're not in your presence, you're giving them emotional energy. And if you buy a bunch of knives at once, they'll remember. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like a, a thing you remember for a long time. Yeah. The 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 what 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 we're just talking about was was very important is that this is all stuff that's information that your investigators can use but it's only one piece of information and it's much more interesting if it's not complete one of the things that drives me craziest in a lot of uh procedural tv shows and it's an artifact of the fact that they only have 42 minutes to tell the story is that oh look we found a thread at the crime scene from a shirt that is only sold in two stores in the entire city so it must be at one of them in the real world, you find all sorts of crap in the crime scene, 90% of which is useless. Yes. I deliberately, I wrote a CSI New York book back in 2008, and I very deliberately had them found find a thread that turned out to be from a half-cotton, half-polyester black sweatshirt in New York. This narrows the suspect pool to 85% of the population of New York. <laughs> I, will, I will tell you a true story about a murder that occurred in Baltimore along those lines, a, now it starts, I mean, a woman was found dead on the street. In her hand, she had a button with threads in it that were torn off, that the police believe were torn off her murderer. They called her uncle and her aunt in to talk to them basically about who's this, who you know you know who are her friends what has she been doing blah 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 he walks in wearing a shirt of the same color as the thread and it's missing a button <laughs> yes he's not too bright and yes the button and the shirt did match the button and the thread did match the shirt shirt and yes he and the aunt went went to jail you know, but yes, they sometimes they are. It is that easy. There was there was a great line in the West Wing. Uh, Clark Gregg was playing an FBI agent. He said, "No amount of of money, skill, determination, and manpower is a substitute for the guy you're chasing being stupid." <laughs> yes. You know, Batman is right. Criminals are a cowardly, superstitious lot, but a lot of them are just dumb as posts. Yes. So you have a question. It's a question time for you. Everything you talk about is if the police forensic side had magic. Suppose that you have a situation where the crime has been committed with magic. In our world, where you have all of your forensic uh, tools and everything available to you, but the crime was committed, say the murder was committed with magic, how would you go about trying to figure it out? We would... Put this way, given that we in the police, well, I'll say this, I'll say, still say we, you know, I'm retired, in the police department probably don't believe in magic. Right. Uh, and the crime was committed with magic. Um, the Now you're saying, like, for instance, the person is killed by magic? Person is killed by, I'll give you a scenario. They walk in. There's somebody dead in the room. The room is destroyed. Big holes punched in the walls. Person is dead. Not a mark on um, Shark bites on the Then this way, if the medical examiner looks at the body and doesn't find a mundane cause of death, it will go as either undetermined 
or um, natural causes or something like that, and you, there, the investigation of the of the death would stop because the medical examiner could not rule it a homicide. That's where people like. Um, Simon Toombs or Harry Dresden or something like that would come in, where you'd have where you'd have a police officer who knew a magician who'd say, "Look, it looks like a murder, but it's not a murder. Can you look into it?" Yeah, uh, or, but or, in the real world, a magician probably would get away with murder. Yeah, or, or you have you have a cop who's just at his wits' end enough that he'll take a gamble on working with a psychic or take a gamble on chasing down something he's heard about but never believed in because he just wants to call it this guy. Right. Yeah, that's um, a perfect setup for an urban fantasy crime yeah. procedural. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in, 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 in the high fantasy setting that I'm doing, whenever a crime involves magic, the Brotherhood of Wizards steps in and stomps all over the investigation. And I said, that's okay, we'll handle it because the Brotherhood of Wizards handles all magical things, and they're basically pains in the ass. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, you're in a world where necromancy is a known quantity. Can you call someone to the witness stand to testify against their murder? It would depend on what your um, ethics are around necromancy. We're talking lawyers here. <laughs> uh, you know, if it's if it's considered wrong to force a spirit that has passed on back into a rotting corpse, then that would be considered wrong. Um, you know, if if the spirit is jumping up and down going, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, I want to fry this SOB, then, you know, maybe not so much. Um, but it's yeah. also a function of your setting, whether or not the yeah. ghost has to tell the truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. You could have someone who commits suicide in such a way that it looks like murder. He could then testify in court that his cousin George, who he's hated all his life, um, you, know, kill, you know, killed him. And he gets George convicted and thrown into jail forever or executed at the cost of his own life, but he feels it's worth it. People, people, people lie all the time. Just because they're dead doesn't necessarily stop well, that. Whenever there's a system, there's somebody that will game the system. Oh, yeah. So this is just another, as soon as you toss magic in the, in the mix, it's just another legal system with mm-hmm. a set of procedures and a set of investigation procedures that can be twisted and invented. I used to say well, just because they're dead doesn't mean they know any better. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, by the way, this panel has already get, has actually given me an idea for something for a future Super City cop story because it occurs to me that in Super City there would be people in the lab who are experts on the damage done by the different types of ray beams fired by the different heroes and villains. <laughs> And they would be able to look at the burn patterns and figure out, oh, okay, that's got to be the osmium obliterator because it's leaving this particular type of pattern there. Yeah, and that would be basically, could we do the same thing with, ma- with magic? Theoretically, uh, sure. One of, I mean, every story, everything has its own rules of magic. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, by, by one of my first. Um, exposures to magic and witches and warlocks was the TV show Bewitched. Mm-hmm. And they had one very... You they could do anything, but they had one very firm rule. Only the witch who cast the spell could remove the spell. Mm. So if you had something like that, you could then trace the magic right. back to the witch or warlock, and we just actually need a gender-neutral term for, for that, but... 
Um, which, Master. Wicked. Magician. Back to the magician who cast the spell. Now, um, is do you think uh, do you think in a fantasy world, a magician? You know, the, there would be forensic magicians who would specialize in the whole, you know, tracing tracing spells, or like, would each one cast a particular spell? So just like police can trace uh, cartridge cases and bullets back to the gun that fired it, could you trace a spell? back to the magician or back to the one that cast it? Well, you can certainly know something about the tradition of magic that was used. So are, are you calling on Norse magic? Are you calling on voodoo? Are you calling on root magic or hoodoo? Are you, uh, you know, what tradition of magic is used? Because that's going to be evident from a lot of different elements. Um, and that would certainly narrow down your your victim pool, and also your, your give the yeah. give the perps cause to being accused of racial profiling. But well, it, it, no matter what system you have, if you sufficiently modernize the setting in their their attitudes toward it, you'll get to the point where you have people who get really good at it because they get paid to do it. Because as society increases in complexity, specialization increases. Mm. So whether you're dealing with that from a scientific standpoint or a magical standpoint, I mean, I'm one they're equivalent in terms of their function in the story. You can also have some fun with, um, you know, if you have an expert on an- analyzing magic and the, the traces and stuff, it might not be admissible in court, but... Hey, I recognize that signature. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that it's this person over here. I can't prove it, but that's what I think, right? Just, just like I, I, I code software, and I can recognize software that's written by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But even so, I mean, uh, as I understand it, in terms of being able to testify in court, they have uh, ratings and benchmarks that an expert have to meet to be accepted right. by the court. So you would have something, as, as, as long as you reach that threshold of su- significant complexity, you'd have something like that for magic. And even if you don't, it's a tool that it, the investigator can use in an interrogation. Yeah. Uh, speaking as someone who's been through um, Dauber hearings and things like that, um, the, the, the rules for evidence being accepted in court, particularly from, a, from an expert, is one, Whatever technique you're using, whether it be um, luminol to detect blood, or you're using, um, you know, uh, finger fingerprint comparison or firearms comparison, it has to be generally accepted in the science fiction. In the science fiction, the science. Fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's um, For instance, that was the whole that when defense attorneys were attacking DNA. Uh, when it was first being used forensically, because you know, oh yeah, it, it's it's it, we know about DNA, but is it generally accepted in the forensic community? And um, they a hundred years before that, they did the same thing with fingerprints. Yep. Mm-hmm. So in a magical in a world where there's a magical system, the courts, I mean, if they operated the same way as ours did, they you would have to show that whatever technique you're using to trace the magic was a valid technique. And then you would have to show that whoever is testifying was ex- skilled and experienced enough 
to um, apply this technique. Well, and that's why in in the contemporary stories where you have someone with magic or a a medium or someone <coughs> like that who is working with the cops, you're not going to see that person be put on the stand because they can supply information and then the cops need to find hard evidence to validate that. So they're basically pointing them in a direction. Right. Kind of like you don't put the drug sniffing dog on the stand either. You know, it brings a special <laughs> st- skill set, but he's really hard to interview. <laughs> you, you, you don't <laughs> write said in the report. In that sense, they're, they're really kind of the mover behind the scenes, yeah. and it still falls on the cops to use the regular um, legwork to chase down hard evidence that would be admissible in court. One of the, the most fun, one of the reasons why I write police procedurals in the first place so I can write the interrogation scene. <laughs> That's the best part. Being able to sit there with, with, with one or two cops and, and a perp in the room doing this verbal dance between the two of them where David Simon put it best, actually, in, in the book uh, Homicide Year in the, uh, a Year on the Killing Streets, which is the book that uh, the TV show Homicide Life on the Street was based on, um, where he said that, and one of the Baltimore cops said this to him, um, an interrogation is an act of salesmanship where the detective is trying to sell the customer a product for which he has no use in this particular case, a jail sentence. (laughs) And the best detectives are the ones who actually accomplish this. Um, And it's fun when, you know, the, 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 the backing and forthing and the verbal dance and, and, and trying to get the person to admit that they've done something that they really shouldn't admit in public that they have done is part of the challenge. Um, and a lot of this stuff is, is, even if it's something that only points in the right direction or indicates or doesn't you know, meet the evidentiary requirements, it's still something that a good investigator can then use in an interrogation to try to pull the confession out because the best evidence is always a confession. That's, you know, no matter how much other evidence you've got, if the person actually comes out and says, yes, I did it, that's very useful. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the whole other... Yeah, the Alfred, switching from to science fiction for fantasy, there is a great novel by Alfred Bester called yes. The Demolishing Man. Oh, yes. and for those Which brings telepathy know, into it. It is a work, it is basically... Um, People in this world, people can read. Certain people can read minds, and um, including the police. So and so, the police are allowed to read the minds of a suspect, but they can work. They can they can act on what they learn, but they whatever they learn is not you know whatever they learn from the mind is not admissible in court. Because so you can't they, present it objectively. They might learn how they, so they can read the mind to see how the person committed the crime, but they can't go with the the, the mind reader cannot go into um, court and say, "I read his mind; he did it." Mm-hmm. Which so it basically, um, you know, it presents the police with the challenge of knowing whether or not someone is guilty, and then if he is guilty, finding the evidence. You know, there, but it does help the police narrative. For they have a suspect, and the telepath says he didn't do it. They know they don't have to focus on that. You know, um, Charlene Harris is uh, uh, Harper Connolly. 
mysteries, mm-hmm. and it, which always amused me that they're in the mystery section and and all the rest of her stuff's over in fantasy sci-fi because apparently being able to find dead bodies out of nowhere is 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 not some kind of supernatural ability. Even though it's in the same world as all yeah. the other books. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, exactly. You I can just sense the dead bodies. But she but but she sets up the mysteries very well because the character has very specific limitations in what additional information she could get about a, a murder. She can only know these things. She doesn't actually see who killed them. You know, and so there's still a mystery left at the end there. And that's, that I think is probably the primary problem with thinking about crime scene investigations in fantasy or, or sci-fi is that really the sky's the limit. So you have to make the limits or you're not going to make an interesting story. Yeah. Um, and that brings up a, another one for me, which is we've been talking kind of forensically like we have a crime scene. But the best way to get to, to get away with something is to not have a crime scene and to not give the police the body, right? Um, and so in the fantasy world, we don't have this in the real world, but in the fantasy world, you could have spells to try to find the body. Right? And that, that is essentially Harper Connolly's uh, talent, is finding a, is finding a body. Um, and that becomes kind of interesting, too, because that's something that, the, that you could have in the fantasy world that you simply don't have in the real world. That's something that makes me crazy about Star Trek, by the way, is that they have phasers that will disintegrate someone. So basically, you can commit the perfect murder. Yes, sir, back here. <laughs> well, there must be some kind of law. It, it, it One would think. It's just because it was a cool special effect. How easy yeah. it is to destroy a body so that it can't be used against you. It would be amusing in a fantasy story to have some hapless criminal thinking that he knows the spell that, that causes the body to disappear, but in fact it only causes it to show up in the office of the police commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> in which case, he calls the guard tells him that he believes the police commissioner has just committed a murder. (laughs) (laughs) You'll find the body in his room. One of my author friends, Jeannie Adams, teaches a class at conventions on body disposal. (laughs) (laughs) And it is a terrific class, but she and I go to a number of conventions together, and it's it's a little disconcerting when you're driving along the highway with someone and out of the blue they go, oh, that would be a perfect place to hide a body. You could put a body in that strip of land and nobody's ever going to find it. Just go back 10 feet from the highway. Nobody's going to see it. If anybody sees buzzards, they're going to think, you know, it's an animal. And I'm going, yeah, and you need to stop at a rest stop. So, so they have been to yes, my coverage yeah. area. Well, I, I told people that I was with you. Yeah, yeah uh, it actually bothers my wife when we're driving through the city and basically just about anybody who doesn't know what it is oh there was a murder there <laughs> there was a murder there there were actually two murder I can actually point out an intersection within walking distance where there have been at least three murders can you find an intersection in Baltimore where there hasn't been a murder I think that okay. would be harder <laughs> yes yeah. so ladies it's incredibly difficult to prosecute when there's no body, right? So mm-hmm. we've covered it's how difficult, we, but not impossible. Yeah, it's not impossible. So, and we've covered with like how, you, you know, tracking and things, but how, because even in this fantasy society, you're still going to notice that a person is missing. So how do you move from missing persons case to potential homicide case? Well, um, those of you who have necromancers or something like that. Necromancers and mediums come in handy if the ghost can show up and say, find my killer. Or more to the point, can't. Right. (laughs) If you you want to see if somebody has passed over and and there's no evidence that they have, 
then you've cast a really, really good spell to you know to keep the dead person from 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 um, reappearing, or the person's not dead. Well, but couldn't conversely you use like the locator spell? For example, someone goes missing and they're missing for like a week, and you say, okay, clearly there's something up here. Can't you say cast a spell to locate the live person, um, and you get a negative, and it's like, okay. Well, that's one possibility. If you use the if you use the locator spell, which involved like the person's blood, you know, um, person's hair or the person's um, you know something that belonged to the person, you would probably find them or you know get an indication one way or the other. Yeah. Or yes. out of range. Yes. Yeah. I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that before the modern era, people went missing all the all time, the time. <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily considered to be criminal. They they, yeah. they just left and reinvented themselves. Well, they, well, or they became town. traders. I mean, they yeah. found yeah. But even Mediterranean the beads era. up in Norway. <laughs> they signed onto a sailing ship. <laughs> or were, you know, hit over the head. the circus. Or were forced to hit over the head. Or were hit over the head, put in a sack, and joined an army yes, unwillingly. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, if, going back to the whole, you know, is someone dead or whatever, the additional wrinkle is if you have spirit mediums who channel and you don't conjure the ghost itself, if you're using the English system, that's hearsay. And that's not real evidence. Yeah. You would well, be better off having devices that could be demonstrated. Well, actually, the interesting thing would be is if the medium or the necromancer or whatever could, was allowed to bring this bring this person up in court. I mean, in, in right, court. Right, that's, that's what I'm saying. But there, you know, someone who's just a spirit medium channeling the voice of the dead, mm. that would probably not be admissible. Well, no, that's so presuming that's they, they can't bring the bring the spirit to some kind of corporeal form, right, exactly. or put them on the stand in a ghostly form and have other people see them. Yeah, and and, that, I mean that's also a possibility. And that's why you don't have the medium on right. the stand. They're feeding the information behind the scenes, just like if you have, you know, an unreliable witness that you know somebody's going to shred their testimony. But hey, you think in this case he's telling you the truth? It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, it all comes down to the rules you set for yourselves to make through the magic. Yeah. yeah. And, and you need to be consistent about yeah. it. And that's, that's the important thing. Um, one of the, re- you know, when Isaac Asimov was, you know, you know at, at his peak, and, you know, people believed that, one, you could not do a decent, um, decent uh, mystery set in, the, set in the future because science would have advanced to the point where you could just figure it out. And likewise, you couldn't do a decent mystery in a magical world because, you know, Boom! Oh, he's the murderer. You know, but, but you know, so the writers decided that you do if before you start doing this, you need to set the rules of magic. Mm-hmm. You know, like for instance, uh, Keith sets the, um, you know, with Keith's peelback. Yes, it's possible, but there are there are things that can interfere with it. And there's only one or two people who can actually cast it. Magic is very heavily regulated. So. Or, you know, so you need rules of magic, like what can and can't be done. Because that you want to, you, you know, you, wanna, you want your investigator to solve the crime. You just don't want it to make it too easy or nobody's going to read the next story. Also, if all the peelback does is show you visually what happened. If it's somebody, you know, wearing a mask, that doesn't tell you what he looked like. You can't see through the mask. All you can see is that there was a guy in a mask and you have a vague, vague physical description, but that's it. In fact, as I recall, going back to Isaac Asimov saying you can't do that, Randall Garrett because it was two people, not one person. They were friends of his. They were all members of whatever, the, the, the Murder Writers Society. And part of their reasoning for writing the Lord Darcy series was, no, Isaac, 
you're wrong. <laughs> That's why they're so good. Yes, well, anybody so can say... No, Randall, they were, Randall Garrett was two people. No, Randall Garrett did write with somebody else. I, yes. Again, I, I defer yeah. to those who, okay. who yeah. looked into it more recently. He wrote some of his last novels with, I believe, his wife at the time. I will have to look at it. I don't, I don't, I don't I believe he did that. But anyway, they, they, are, they, are great, um, they are great mysteries in set in a magical set. And there's actually one, I forget what it's called, but um, the Marquis of London is involved. And he's a very corpulent gentleman who raises um, plants. And, uh, and he is assisted, he never leaves his office, and he's assisted by uh, yes. Lord Bon Triomphe, yep. which is basically Goodwin. Yep. So yeah, he's yep. put, he put Nero Wolf into oh, his they're, lo they're loaded with Yes, and there's also a, um, there's also a, a Hamish Bond or something like that <laughs> in, in the series. So it's, it's, it's great, it's great fun. Uh, yes. Could you talk about some of the other different crimes, like burglary, kidnapping, etc.? All right. Burglary and magic, um, I've used this. Um, the Hand of Glory, which is the left hand cut off of a hanged, per hanged man or woman, I suppose. You make, basically make it, you use the flesh and make, them into, make it into candles. And if you have a Hand of Glory, you can open anything, any locked door. I use this as in the prison escape. It was kind of messy, um, you know. So yeah, that you know, burglary. I mean, if burglary and magic, you know, works, but um, you do have to find a, a hang. You either have to find a hanged man, or you have to make a hanged man. Or, or you have someone who or, or you have an ability to do enough physical magic that you can make the tumblers work. Right. I mean, you know. Well, um, yeah, but I would the, think the trace magic, mm -hmm. that's. It all, it all depends on what people can trace. You want to notice something. In a world where necromancy is, is a thing and people are looking for dead bodies for components, there's going to be higher security on places where you can get these things. And there's going to be yeah. a nice black market. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who were they? Um, Burke and Hare. Burke and Hare, Burke, you know, Burke, Burke and Hare uh, body providers. You know, mm -hmm. um, There'll be more people, um, uh, you know, the more people burked than, um, than ever. Yeah. The um, in in the the precinct books, there's it is possible to buy magic. You can buy a spell. You don't have to be the one who casts it, and, and it'll work once. But you can only get it legally. You can only get it from an officially licensed magic shop, and they usually have records. But there's also black market magic out there. So that 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 creates its own set of of issues, both in terms of investigating and in terms of access to to the magic and such like that, and interfering with the peelback spell. So. Yes. Um, what if in the mundane world there's a murder, but the corpse is like obviously levitating or something like that? There's obviously something supernatural going on. You, you would have every cop showing up with his cell phone taking. <laughs> <laughs> actually, they would. You know, actually, before I retired, they would have probably said, uh, "Call John. He writes this kind of crap." <laughs> Now they would say, call John and tell him to get out of retirement. He likes this yeah. kind of crap. I, I, think, I think the other thing we've seen done in a lot of shows, uh, I know it comes up a number of times in Supernatural, is people don't want to see what they can't handle seeing. So, And we see in the real world, people will go to huge lengths to avoid cognitive dissonance. 
So if they're confronted with something that fundamentally screws with their concept of how the world works, they just won't see it. They will invent... Or will rationalize it away. Yeah, they will rationalize it past the point of rationality just to not see it. There's there's another... uh, And and it kind of popped up, Facebook advertising does work sometimes. There is actually a Maryland author that wrote... As like a six or seven book series. Uh, he's a paramedic educator, and he wrote uh, a paranormal normal EMS. And in his in his little city, there's always been always been vampires and dryads and werewolves. But they have like a special police unit and a special EMS unit, and they have some kind of tick that they only send those. So if there was a levitating body, it gets yeah. police station you for unusual yeah. sent um, out to it. I will tell you that. Um, Um, there were, I had a case that if, if you were in Baltimore or in the East Coast, you would remember the double blizzard from several years of that. Thing. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, and we, when, the crime, when the crime scene unit started responding to things other than violent crimes, um, I get a call from this, this place, and it was, it was a racially motivated incident that they felt that we should handle. Um, Somebody, one of uh, a this this business got its first black, like first black executive, and somebody left in his mailbox a voodoo doll, um, and a note in given that we have young people giving uh, a um, note that indicated a certain part of his body had been cursed. And I went, now being a supervisor, I can actually pick those guys. I said, I got this one. <laughs> you got voodoo. I mean, I'm probably the probably the only expert we've got. So I went out and I actually I actually am probably one of the few CSIs on the East Coast who's actually recovered a voodoo doll. Now, to, to our credit... We have to emphasize on the East Coast there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, New Orleans maybe... And, the, and on the Gulf Coast is a whole yeah. other thing. But uh, to, to their credit, the people down in the evidence control unit just kind of went, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably far from the weirdest thing they've seen. Yeah, oh yes. You know, so, um, but most people you know, have their go-to guy for the weird stuff. Yes, yes. I mean, even in, in real life, there's a, there's a go-to guy. I knew somebody who was like the, the New Jersey State Police's go-to guy for a while there. So you were the Baltimore X-Files. Something like yeah. that, yeah. Um, actually, um, that the story that I wrote, about, I've got a double blizzard, I've got a voodoo curse, and in Baltimore we've got this rather interesting custom that if you dig out a parking spot in the snow, you get to place lawn chairs mm-hmm. in the spot. Pittsburgh does it too. And nobody really? Does. Scranton does it, but then... Yeah. New York does not do that. According to the late great C.J. Henderson, people would just steal the lawn chairs. And then park there, yes. yes. <laughs> but uh, the first story in um, Monsters Among Us is my version of what happened. From 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 that from that incident, I would again, I would tell you what the title is, but we have young people. Is there in the a audience. body sitting in one of the lawn chairs? Is it alliterative? <laughs> Pardon? Is it alliterative? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> any, any, any adult who wants to see what the title of the story is uh, can come up later. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's clean. <laughs> okay. Any other young people? All right. The title of the story is the case of the cursed weenie.
<laughs> so, it's, so, it's about, so it's about Frankfurters. Yes. yes. Right. yes. Okay, we've got about um, a couple minutes left. Any other questions? Yes. So if magic has been a thing for a while, wouldn't criminals as well as uh, police have developed ways of working this stuff? Yes, you would have criminals committing crimes with magic, and you would have police tracing the magic used in the crimes to find the criminals. And then you have criminals who specialize in muddying up whatever spells they use to trace them. And then you have police... Round and round and round and round. By the way, criminals would probably be the first to use magic in crimes, because if you look at the history of crime in America... Criminals were the first to use cars to elude police. Criminals were the first to use automatic weapons such as the Tommy gun to 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 outpower the police who were armed with simply 38 revolvers if they were armed at all. Um, a certain aspect of the uh, of video of, of the video industry, uh, video puts away VHS tapes and later DVDs own their. Um, owed their popularity to the dirty movies that uh, certain people made and sold in the back room of the video store. So does streaming video and pretty much a great chunk of the internet. So um, police, you know, criminals were the first first to adopt technology. Police always play catch-up because they're more bureaucratic than, other than the mafia is very bureaucratic, but... um, Plus, they have, they have to have like a budget item for. Yeah, actually, the mafia has the best you know, for made for a person to become a made man. The, ma- the mafia has an excellent betting betting organization. Yeah, it's there's a book called Five Families. If you're interested in the New York New York families, it's a, it's a wonderful book. But those Law and Order fans, Masucci's do not show up. So, all right. So, um, thank you, panelists. Um, and thank you. Thank you for listening to the Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. <laughs>